Hello and welcome everyone to Silent Podcast, where we are anything but silent. Today, I am very excited to have the privilege to speak with um, a contestant from a very entertaining, exciting, um, drama-filled new reality TV show from Netflix called Outlast. So as you can see here, I'm here with Joel Hungate. Joel, thank you so much for being here to speak with me today. Oh, what a pleasure. And so excited to talk about all things Outlast, answer questions, and dive a little deeper because uh, it's generating a lot of conversation, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely a conversation. Absolutely. I've had some uh, plenty of great conversations within uh, my own family and little circle here. And I've also seen plenty of, I'll say, colorful conversations online um, because this really was a... Uh, I will say, I will say a, uh, a reality TV show does not usually make this kind of splash on its first season. And you guys yeah. had um, quite the first season here. So um, what we're going to do, we're just going to chat. I have some questions, um, a few from some people that sent me in as well as my own. And again, Joel, this is for you just to share from your experience and um, just share, you know, anything that wasn't on the show. Um, we'd love to hear any, you know, behind the scenes tidbits or things that weren't covered. Um, but also, yeah, we'd love to hear your take on all the things we did see. So first, I would just love to hear what drew you to this kind of, you know, this show. Obviously, it's some kind of combination of alone, but there's a social aspect, kind of like a survivor. Um, so I, I just would really love to know, like, how you found out about it and then how you, you know, what really for you felt like, OK, this is this is me. This is calling my name. Oh, yes. So uh, I'm a mountaineer and that's what I do You know, outside of my professional endeavors and things like that. I always been drawn to the intensity of that experience, right? Uh, And it slowly builds over time. I mean, you start to think, wow, I'm going to put myself into even more wild settings with wild people doing incredible things. And when I saw the the call out for this, asking for folks that were either mountaineers, extreme endurance athletes, adventurers of any sort, I I thought, man, uh, that is something that I need to throw my hat into the ring for. In, In particular, you know, whenever you're out mountaineering or you're kind of pushing the envelope that we've done first ascents, all over the world, been a part of long, month-long expeditions, laying siege to unclimbed mountains. You're always in the back of your mind asking that question, you know, who do you become and, and what can you put up with? What What is that threshold for adversity? And a setting like this was fascinating to me where that was the core tenet of the game. Uh, one of the most unimaginably inhospitable environments out there. Couple that with the team-based component, the survival side of things, Count me in. That sounds fantastic. So that's what drew me to the show. <laughs> okay, so th- that leads into my next question perfectly, which is, what did you know about the show, like, heading in? Um, so you knew that I was obviously yeah. this, again, adventure outdoor, like, you're going to be a survivalist out there. But did you know too much about the game, the rules, um, the social aspect? I'd love to hear, yeah, what your mindset was. How did you prepare going into it? Yeah, yeah. No, it, for me, it was all about... The, this it, one, the ambiguity was fascinating in the okay. game. Uh, it, it was the idea that, uh, hey, they're very minimal, very simple rules. You're going to be dropped into Southeast Alaska, this incredibly trying environment, and you're, you're going to be forced to collaborate on a team with all these lone wolves. That's pretty much all we knew. We had very little insight into what the day was going to look like, what challenges or the gameplay structure was going to be, what were the twists and turns that awaited us. So almost the, the unknown itself, was kind of a draw towards the concept, but I just thought it was such a nuanced take on the traditional adventure survival motif that we're all used to in the reality TV space. 
yeah absolutely and it produced a tv product that was definitely unique in that space as well so yeah um, let's yes. get into it so day one i mean um so you go through the casting process you know you get selected i'm sure you're very excited uh you get flown out there i'm assuming there's you know a couple days while you're you're quarantined or you're not speaking to the rest of the cast is that how it is Oh yeah. Uh, now for something like this, you know, you end up getting on location. I, I was laughing, you know, go through this entire process uh, to finally get the nod to say, hey, you're in, you're either, you're either part of the cast or you're a substitute, one of the two, but we need you in Juneau, Alaska by this date in September. Can you make it? <laughs> and away you go. Next thing you know, you're on an airplane and you're touching down. You have no idea what you're getting into. And they do, of course, for something like this, uh, go to great lengths to keep us not only uh, safe and sequestered throughout that entire process, especially in the throes of the pandemic. Uh, but also, you're you're really insulated from the the staff, the team, the show, uh, to the point where we really were dropped into the wilderness, meeting these strangers essentially for the first time. And then the the dynamics of the gameplay really took off from there. So it was it was fascinating, you know, to land in Juno, not knowing what you're getting into, but then also trying to think, well, how do I prepare for this mentally, physically? Because there's there's just a, a a really interesting dynamic that's waiting to happen there, which to me is is how on earth do you prepare physically, mentally, emotionally? Do you put on weight? Do you stay physically fit? Uh, do you start working on what kind of survival skills, when, where, and why, and how? And, and that's the sort of thing that I think is <laughs> rattling through all of our brains as we're getting ready for the show. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. The, the ambiguity, cause there is, this is season one. There's no, you didn't know there's no uh, template to work off of. So I'm sure where did you <laughs> yeah. err on the side of putting on some pounds? It didn't look like, you, oh, you yeah. know, okay. Cause oh, you, no, you did so, not look yeah. like you came in with a lot out there. <laughs> I know, if I could change one thing, uh, I would have come in with more weight. Uh, I, uh, now, now for the, for anybody keeping track at home, uh, I showed up, I put on 15 pounds before I, I got there. Okay. Now, now imagine you're you're trying to balance adding 15 pounds with keeping up your cardiovascular endurance and my strength training. And for me, um, very, very focused on the, the physical fitness component, the nutrition component, just in general in life for the things I do from an endurance or a mountaineering or just athletic standpoint. Uh, yeah. But this was a unique challenge. You know, how do you put on that weight? but also keep that level of fitness that you think you're going to have to tap into because you just don't know what you're going to get into. Is it going to be challenge-based? Is it more endurance and mentally, uh, you know, more mentally taxing? Is it all the above? So I, I was trying to figure all of that out, but I was very thankful for the extra 15 pounds because uh, by the time I got out of there, I lost 25 pounds um, wow. being in the wilderness over that amount of time. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. I, I can imagine. Um, yeah. I've seen your, your uh, TikTok videos. Everyone should check them out, but you, you've made a few uh, jokes about the, having some PTSD whenever you see some muscles. Uh, Cause uh, that was, that was your main diet out there was those muscles. Oh yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, stay tuned for my, my self-proclaimed memoir of uh, mountaineer survivalist finds himself on reality TV. I was going to call it muscle memories. Uh, <laughs> but, but I seriously, I, I, I laugh and, and, and it's funny. Uh, it, it did actually take me by surprise. I, one of the memes that you're referencing on the TikTok, you know, I had a good, this kind of flashback to Nika Bay where you order paella, just sitting in a restaurant, you don't think of it. And then it comes out, you know, <laughs> replete with muscles circling the whole thing. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I want to see another muscle again. <laughs> That's that very gone. fair. Yeah, uh, very um, fair. You've earned that right to never eat another muscle again. <laughs> so, okay, so day one, let's get let's get into it though. Day one, you get dropped off. 
you don't know really what's going on. Obviously, parachute drops, and it looks like you know very Hunger Games esque with this cornucopia yes. of you know just you don't know what you're walking up to, and you know it says break into teams and you know kind of just get started. There wasn't really much more than that. But how did yeah. was there anything from forming Delta that we missed there um, that you'd like to fill us in on? Oh, I, one of the things I think, and we we look back at this and laugh how it just worked out. Uh, you'll notice if you watch it, you know Jordan and I are standing right next to each other, and we were. We were connecting. A lot of us were, you know, obviously we're getting uh, out to the environment. You're able to kind of connect in the woods. You're wondering where you're going to go, what's going to happen next. You hear the drop. You all start moving towards that very Hunger Games-esque supply drop. And I'm standing next to Jordan. We're listening to everything. And they're like, divide into teams. And we're like, we're sitting there. Yeah, yes, yeah, cool. You know, let's, can't wait to see that happen. And they're like, no, now. <laughs> so, so he and I are looking around. Everybody else is pulling each other into teams. And we just look at each other and go, all right, man. <laughs> okay, but okay. One of, the, one of the things that I think were, um, was kind of ro rolling in the background, right off the bat, when we, you know, Jordan and I just like got left standing around and then we said, oh, okay, you know, we're not, we're not freaking out and grabbing at people, whatever. We end up having Paul and Don come over and we, we all start talking right away. And we start to realize that, wow, we may have just, lucked out by being the mm -hmm. folks that just kind of stood around kind of cool as cucumbers all of a sudden be you know saying hey what do you do what do you know and one of the things i think that we had a lot of questions on people said well hey uh, why didn't anybody take the bag or the parachute or the paracord or any of that stuff yeah delta team delta team did <laughs> so oh, one of the nice. things that i okay. thought was fascinating right off the bat we had that mindset of oh hey uh, we just happened into a team but everybody knew the game was on on Delta Team, and we started right away. We grabbed the big bag, getting whatever supplies we could take with us beyond just the the initial supply drop. Yeah, and, and that paid dividends in setting up uh, our initial shelter, and for the just the incredibly difficult weather and environment we had over those first four or so days. Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, you you're, you go back, you build your camp, um, you got your squad. It's you, Jordan, Paul, and Don. And, uh, they, I mean, really, it seems like you guys are, this is where I, I, I would imagine most people are getting the experience on the show that they, they thought was going to happen. You know, it's going to be rough yep. out there. You're surviving, you're on your teams. Um, and then it seems like the first real thing that shift that happens from you from the show's perspective was the challenge where, um, mm -hmm. you had to build the raft and go get those crab pots down the river. Yeah. Um, yes. is there any, yeah. Was there any sort of, um, other challenge? Cause I think what was surprising for me watching was there were so few challenges, like there was not mm -hmm. very much structure at all. So was yeah. that really the, the first one? And was that really the only main one until the, the end of the game? You know, there, there's a lot of things, obviously tons of content, interesting survival things, really yeah. ingenious and creative stuff happening all in the background. And of course, not all of it can make it in for a variety of, of reasons to the final yeah. product. Uh, but, but, you know, going on in the background, there's everything from the fact that uh, we were harvesting so many mussels, we were essentially farming them and I was having them filter our water. We're obviously testing <laughs> for paralytic shellfish toxin and all of that stuff. As you got to be safe for anybody out there that wants to do that. Don't just go grabbing mussels. That's uh, that's not the way to do it. But but everything from you know even how we collected water, uh, you know just some interesting tidbits on that front. Uh, so much rain, and we started to find these natural cisterns uh, essentially where the rain was collecting in the the grassland, the muskeg in and around our camp. 
And we actually lined some of that with rocks and grass and started to collect the rainwater where I, I could literally walk out of my tent in the morning, ah, stretch my arms, sneak over to the, the little cistern and scoop out a cup of fresh rainwater. It's probably the best water I've ever had. Um, <laughs> everything, everything from that to how we're sourcing firewood and setting traps and trying to uh, build reflectors using avalanche bags and all this stuff, uh, really just cool stuff happening. Obviously, that's the blocking and tackling for survival. Um, not that it, not that it didn't, you know, move the show along, but just for some context, all of that's kind of swirling in the background. Yeah. In addition to, you know, I'm an engineer, and <laughs> on the top of the show, like, oh, my bona fides as an engineer are going to be in question if this shelter doesn't rock and this raft <laughs> isn't fantastic. So, <laughs> yeah, well, they really you to uh, revoke my degree uh, if they see something that's not going to be. I mean, I feel like that was emphasized on the edit was how well your shelter was built compared to the other teams. I think that that was uh, the show made it seem like you guys had the best shelter out there. We had a killer shelter. And I think it was the difference, especially in the early going with uh, one of the things that's easy to just kind of gloss over how bad the weather was in the first handful of days. And I'll say that as a testament to any of the folks that tapped out early. Like that was not just some, hey, we're, we're sleeping in the woods and it's a little cold and a little wet. I, I mean, there was some severe weather going on yeah. uh, to, the, to the point where we were wondering like, oh my gosh, is this, is it going to affect our ability to actually continue with the show? Which is fascinating to see everybody kind of gritted out through that. But those are some gritty people. Yeah. And uh, to have folks say, you know what, enough's enough. Alaska's tough. I'm out of here. I, I think it's a testament to how bad the weather really was in the early going. And then secondly, how fantastic our shelter ended up being for Jordan, Don, Paul, and I, uh, because it, it really allowed us to thrive as a team of four, really adopt roles, keep morale high, because we weren't worried about water running into our shelter, keeping the rain off. Yeah. Uh, we stayed fairly comfortable in the early going. You know, I say fairly, it was <laughs> still pretty rough, but but it was it was a lot easier mentally and then keeping the fire going. You know, we tried to keep it going 24-7 both as a psychological thing for other teams to kind of see that and say, wow, these guys are really on top of that. Uh, but also just the, the, the ease of use collecting fire would not have to worry about starting it in a wet environment. You know, some of those strategies were starting to form right before that first challenge actually happened. Mm, got it. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I, I, I love the context. That's what we're here for. So um, let's roll into it though. That first challenge happens. Uh, you're, you're tasked with building a raft. Uh, you're, I'm sure very, very enticed by the prospect of, of getting some crab pots to, you know, to actually get some, some real protein in there in your diet. Um, and I, I guess my, my biggest question from how it was presented on the show was exactly the, the race between Jordan and Angie. Was it as depicted? Because that, that was a beautiful underdog, you know, yeah. uh, moment from her catching up, lapping him while he's doing some push-ups out there on the raft looking like you know uh he's mm -hmm. very very confident in his uh lead uh to get there but yeah i just i would just love to know if if that's if that's really how it went down how did you feel seeing him do some push-ups and then get lapped by her um yeah, that, <laughs> yeah those are kind of the questions that were swirling in my head as i was watching oh uh, no it, it it went down pretty much as you saw it i mean the the craft that we built one uh, wildly substantial i mean and definitely a four-person team craft to move that bad boy around. Every bit of 300 pounds by the time it was all said and done, waterlogged. You know, that that was a lot of wood. I mean, almost three to four full standing trees that we had to fell and buck up and mess around to create that thing. So we knew the raft could get us there. It was substantial. 
And we were really bullish on uh, Jordan's experience on that front, you know, with his, with what he's done in the water, uh, the ability, hey, if you had to be in it, if you have to swim or whatever, hey, you, you seem to have the most confidence in that setting. So we were happy to kind of uh, christen the, uh, the Outlast Outcast craft and send it on its way with Jordan at the helm. And what was funny, you know, we watched for a little bit as they rounded the bend. You know, we saw him doing the push-ups and stuff, and and he had a substantial lead. But man, major kudos to Angie, uh, Seth, and Nick because for a while I didn't know that their craft was going to make it out of the water, mm. uh, and that was really the thing that they were balancing. You know, it, as soon as they set it down, it would sit into the water a certain depth. So if you put too much weight on it, yeah, you're you're going to be plowing water the entire time. So it made a lot of sense for Angie to hop in and start to pilot that thing. But what, what, what happened next, you know, Jordan's cruising and there's a very, very real, almost unavoidable current. If you end up just to the left of the Island and you had to make that choice, you know, do I try to jog left or right? It's hard to see the current. And he just so happened to veer the wrong direction. And once you're in it, you are not fighting it. We had nothing. No, there's no paddles. There's no jumping in and swimming. I mean, you are in the Bay after that's done so you miss the island completely so we you know we that that cost us quite a bit i mean the amount of calories we missed out on um by having that that jog around the island and not being able to hit those crab pots and get there first and maybe have a strategic advantage and taking more of the pots uh, to get more of that sustenance and be able to barter and trade with the other teams for other supplies things like that you know it really kind of threw a wrench in what I thought at the time was a pretty commanding lead that Delta team had. Mm, yeah. Okay. So you're feeling pretty good at that point. And then yeah. the, the next hit comes, which is really Jordan's medevac as well. So yeah. I know that's, this is weeks later, or I think at least a week, right? About two weeks that yeah. he's um, he's feeling sick and then um, helicoptered out of there. And you all are told that he might return, might not return. Um, I just would love to hear, yeah, your perspective. Cause then obviously that sets off. This is the first domino that really sets off everything, um, that, yes. that happens. The most dramatic moments really fall right after Jordan leaves. Cause that's when Paul leaves and I, you know the story, but we'll, we'll get into it. But I just would love to know, yeah. W- what was your yeah. experience on the other side of, of him being helicoptered out waiting for, you know, an update and then finally receiving it? Oh, it was, uh, it, you know, Jordan was just working himself really hard uh, out there. And, and that was one of the things that Paul and I had a lot of discussions about. And, you know, he's just a hard charger. He, he's going to go. He's, he's moving. He's moving. He's building. He's bringing a lot of rocks back and forth to our shelter. And that's every bit of a couple hundred yards to go from where we set up camp away from the river and the bay area all the way back. And he's taking these big rocks, bringing them back, building our fireplace that eventually ended up kind of being our reflector stove. Um, pretty substantial fire pit that we we built in and around the shelter. So we're telling him, you know, hey, man, uh, you might have to slow down. And he's like, no, I got it. I got it. So you get a break from doing that for a couple hours. No joke. Um, rest a little bit, get some water, and then he's out cutting firewood. And that's about the time that you start to see that catch up with him. We haven't had as many calories. We're still eating the mussels. Uh, and, and to eat the mussels, you know, you you boil them, you drink the broth after they've, they've boiled enough to open. You boil them again and you drink the broth again to get as much as many nutrients out of those muscles as humanly possible. Then you eat the muscle, right? But even that's not enough, even though we were capturing a lot of them, not enough to keep up with the amount of calories that we were exerting out there. So all of that, coupled with kind of the the, the dent that we had in morale from Jordan in, in missing the island for the crab pods, uh, I think really pushed him to work even harder at camp 
And then we kind of hit that inflection point where he passed out, you know, yeah. whether from, from just low blood sugar, exhaustion, whatever it happened to be. But we were mostly worried about whether or not he hit his head on the way down. And that was um, at the heart of when, when Paul and we got him out of the woods and we got him to medical and then we carried him to the medical evacuation and the skiff that they rolled up in. That was the biggest thing running through my mind because I, I, I work in healthcare. You know, that's my space. And you start to think about, okay, we, we've got some, you know, whether it was get him something to help with blood sugar, get him some, get him some hydration, get him some food, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but then we got to start thinking about, well, did you hit your head on something? And what's that mean for what's next in the game for you? And that's running through our heads. And we spent the rest of the day back at camp, you know, kind of awaiting the news, wondering, my gosh, did we just lose our buddy? You know, it was terrible. And, and you saw yeah. that when, they sent the message back in that he's not coming back into the game. You know, it was a, a, a major turning point for team Delta. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so let's talk about that turning point because it yeah. seems like the next morning, right. You, you wake up and there's only two of you in the shelter. So tell me, <laughs> yes. yeah. Uh, so Paul, yeah, Paul, he, he, he had a plan and um, obviously it worked out for him in the end. Um, mm -hmm. But I just, I would love to know what your, um, yeah, what your experience was waking up next morning and he's gone. Oh yeah. Oh, I know. Well, for, for us, you know, Paul and I were getting pretty close and I, and I know I don't, uh, as it goes with the game and your strategy, I would yeah. have no problem if you're making moves that you think are best for you. Right. Yeah. Don and I talked about moves. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, you're thinking about, well, how do I get two steps ahead of this? What rubbed me on that one was that just the leaving without any notice, you know, without yeah. standing and saying, Hey, listen, guys, I want to let you know, I'm taking the stuff, I'm taking my stuff and I'm going to head and I'm joining Charlie. And if it was handled that way, I would have said, hey, listen, let's, what can we do to figure this out? How can we talk about this? We're still an incredibly strong team. We would have had an entirely different interaction than leaving for a little bit, going out, doing whatever it is that we're doing, fishing, trying to gather supplies, firewood, to come back and find that his stuff is just gone. And he's absconded with some of the things that we were using as a team. And, and that's what, rubbed on and I the wrong way. And especially with some of the conversations that Paul and I had in and around that whole event, like we all knew that everybody was thinking like, oh gosh, what do we do moving forward? What's the strategy here? Are we gonna stick together as a team? Are we not? Are people looking elsewhere? And my ask to everybody on the team was, give us two days. Let's recenter, let's reconnect, let's hunker in. We've got a great thing going here. We've got incredible shelter, tons of supplies. We've got food, we've got water. Uh, we've really operated as a fantastic unit up to this point. Let's not throw that away. And, <laughs> and what, what, what bothered me about that whole interaction was the way that that came across was Paul and I's kind of gentleman's agreement was, okay, we're going to do that. And we'll, we'll hunker in, we'll see what happens, you know, and, and figure this out. And, and then he was gone. And that's, that's what kind of led to that interaction where I felt like it was a slap to Dawn and I, just again, just the way it was handled, not that the choice was made. I don't begrudge anybody for making a, a, a gameplay choice. You know, that's why yeah. we're out there. It's just the way that we do things. Um, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And and that's kind of my mantra when it comes to integrity really being defined by whatever the worst behavior it is that you're willing to tolerate. And and, and that's kind of at my heart for how we approached that entire situation, why it was so disappointing for me. And because I really like Paul and we're still again there's no animosity right we're 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 incredibly on incredibly good terms uh have the utmost respect for him but that whole situation could be yeah. Yeah. No, well, that's, that's helpful to put, put us in your mindset, especially as it was happening. Yeah. I mean, that's not, 
uh, not surprising to hear, but uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's helpful just to know some of that context. Did you feel like you, if you were going to guess at that point with down to three, we see this in kind yeah. of game shows, you know, when there's three, there's always a two within the three. Did you yes. feel like it would have been you and Paul with Don on the outside? Who, or what did you feel like they were closer with each other or were you closer to Don? I just would love to know if you oh. really thought if it came down to it, who was the two within the three there? Yeah, and I think that was part of it, is that it, the 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 two and two within Delta when we were four, we were all working together. We had tons of camaraderie, but but it was Don and I were the, the closest and nearest and dearest of allies from okay. the get-go. We just hit yeah. them off. Uh, we just had that relationship, kindred spirits, spent a lot of time together, uh, really trusted one another. She was my my just dearest, dearest ally, naturally. You know, it's just kind of, you, you're drawn to some people that way. And, and Paul and I and Jordan had similar things that were blossoming, just wasn't along as, as quickly as it was going with, with Don and I, for instance. Now, yeah. Paul and Jordan, were they were the same in, in the opposite side, right? Those two were incredibly close. Again, we're all amicable. We're all working together. We all loved having each other on the team. But, but as you could see that if it, if it came down to it and it said, hey, draw a line, you're breaking into two, you know, Don and I were much closer. So when Jordan left, I think Paul felt that. Yeah. And saw that it was probably an opportunity for him to move to another team and maybe get a, a, a fresher start on that front now that we're kind of moving away from losing Jordan and what we felt like was this big flywheel of momentum that made us really, really hard to contend with relative to the other teams. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That that makes that makes sense. So I I, I think now I, I really want to to get into everything that happens next because this is uh this I mean, yeah. without what happens next, uh you would your show would not be a top 10 show on netflix trending i mean the word of mouth um yes. that just i've experienced that people sharing you know you gotta watch this show um is all about what happens on this episode four and beyond so uh really i know you you guys go and you have you know the competition with with charlie over there you know with paul but then you know you go back to camp and you and don are trying to make it work and you, you seem like you guys are you know you're making it work i'm sure it's definitely not as comfortable to use your language as it was before but then, um, you know, you come back to camp one day and your sleeping bags are gone. So take me through more just what happens yeah. at that point. Because, I mean, this is an iconic TV moment. It, it, this oh, will yes. be forever discussed. Um, Justin in his ghillie suit, uh, playing hide-and-go-seek <laughs> with your sleeping bags. Um, yes. Yeah. So just, yeah, pl please, please tell me more about that experience. Oh, that, that whole day. Oh, the context that we could give around that entire day and how things shook out. No, it, it was a, a one for us, uh, and Don and I, there's kind of the double-edged sword, right? When you're down to two, uh, it's a mixed bag. Uh, one, it's a lot more work to just keep up with the day in, day out of firewood and food and all of that. So, but it's also less mouths to feed. So we're getting along, at strategizing about what that next step is, uh, whether we continue to align and work nicely with Charlie, do we continue to build our relationship with with Javier and Brian, because we've, we've all you know, in, in and around, again, things that just don't make it onto camera because of just time and stuff like that. You're, you're seeing them across the river and you're chatting and you're talking, and you're spending time after hours at campsites, talking to people, getting to know the other teams and their strategies. Uh, so we're sitting there and we're, we're doing all of our strategizing and, and, and a lot of this too, you know, there's, there's a show going on. So you've got production stuff that you're doing. Uh, and then to come back from that, to find that your sleeping bags are gone on top of just having to deal with Jordan going out, Paul leaving, you know, it felt like just one thing after another for Don and I, and yeah. obviously Don's irate. Uh, I, I, it, it, 
I have a long fuse on stuff like that. And I, I go, I go into the analysis mode to say, okay, we're going to figure this out. And um, immediately we marched to Charlie. You can see it in their eyes. You know, they, they were not responsible for that. They were just <laughs> as horrified of the notion. And again, it's kind of the idea of you remove that out there. Everybody's going through the same level of, of suffering with the elements. Yeah. And to kind of take that from somebody, every, you, you saw how Charlie team reacted. You're like, oh my gosh, it's low, man. Uh, and, and I think that's probably what bothered us the most about it is that the felt like a cheap move in the sense that that there's a lot of things that draw you away from camp. Um, we're not guarding it militaristically. Yeah. And you're doing all of that stuff only to come back and see somebody had taken advantage of that. And then you set about tracking that person down. Yeah. So we, we immediately said, okay, well, if, uh, if I can break the fourth wall for a second, I'm grabbing this trail cam and yeah. I'm going to find out who, what was happening here. So we look at it, we find out, yep, it's uh, Justin in the, uh, the world's most improvised ghillie suit. <laughs> and we start, we start tracking him. Uh, now, Dawn, a little background on Dawn. Uh, she routinely is out in the wilderness. They manage a ranch in the Canyonlands out in Eastern Washington. She's done things like tracking people and recovery of individuals that go missing. She found his footprints and she mm. tracked him right yeah. away. Uh, so I took the shoreline, she took the woods and then we ended up happening upon his raft, scuttled the raft, had this impasse uh, where it's essentially, you know, the, the, the idea was, hey, uh, you can have your raft back if we're willing to trade the bags. We've got you. What are we going to do? So we had this standoff uh, that was kind of, you know, like you saw in the show, ended up having his raft scuttled. And then from that point, you know, there, there's a whole lot of context and things going on. But essentially, what really broke down to two kinds of people in the world, those with rafts and those who swim. <laughs> and Justin ended up being one of those who swim. And uh, you, you kind of saw that uh, it's, it's its own sort of uh, punishment uh, to have to hop into Nika River there because, oh boy, that's cold. Uh, yeah. And to, to, uh, to recover from that is no small feat. Uh, it's not a hop out of water and, and you're just rocking and rolling because uh, we had all gotten wet at some juncture <laughs> as it relates to that beautiful, terrible river in Nika. Uh, but, but it's a... Um, how that all played out. And then for Don and I to get back and say, well, um, this is the hand we're dealt. We're gonna just, we have no choice, right? From this point, we're going to have to overcome. And we started putting our heads together on how to survive for multiple days after that point with without sleeping bags. The temperatures have dropped since the beginning of the game. It's colder, it's wetter, you're more, you're tired and exhausted to the point that you weren't at the beginning, you're, you're losing weight. So the challenge became, well now, how quickly am I going to burn calories? You know, I'm spending up, I'm literally staying up all night, shivering and tending a fire to keep the evacuated. Yeah. So, no sleep. You're working with hot rocks. You're creating makeshift sleeping bags uh, and getting creative out there because, like you saw in the show, you know, we said, hey, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere. And we're going to adapt and overcome and show people that it, it'd take more than just losing the sleeping bags to knock us out of the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, well, obviously, I mean, I think everybody is impressed. I'm sure you've gotten plenty of DMs and comments and stuff about just yeah the your perseverance in that moment because it, it the show obviously it's an edited show and stuff and it's designed to make you know elicit certain emotions at different moments. But I don't think anybody could watch that and not feel you know sympathy and 
begin rooting for you immediately at that mm -hmm. moment. So yeah. um, I, I have a couple questions as you were sharing that, that was sparked for me. Yeah. So one, I, um, the, did you even conceive of like the sabotage rating possibility? Like, would you, had mm -hmm. you thought about guarding your materials, your, your camp or anything before that? Was that, was that even mm -hmm. on your radar? Because it just didn't seem like that was, there was even whispers of anything like that until, you know, it happened. You know, that, that one wasn't, not to that extent, um, especially with how much we all ended up relying on having a sleeping bag in that setting as the game went on, because you started off the game without it. Uh, mm. It was something that, that kind of materialized its way in with more of the supply drops and things like that over time. So you were rewarded for sticking it out further in the game with more supplies, Hunger Games style, right? Yeah. So we, we had all you know persisted to the point where, oh man, now that we've got sleeping bags, uh, it, it really solves a problem of whether you actually need to stay up and tend the fire all night or not. Because I could wake up the next morning, not worry about freezing out <clears throat> in the middle of the night, start my fire again we're rocking and rolling for boiling water, cooking, whatever we got to do, right? Uh, yeah. So it, it changes the dynamic of the game. We thought about, yeah, you know, teams might be coming into your camp and, and talking about it, but we thought of it more of how could I start to amass resources and barter, you know, and trade. And maybe there's some people that want some of the things we have and, and there's some stuff they, they have that we need. We weren't thinking about the outright sneaking in while you're indisposed and yeah. sabotaging the camp. Again, I, I would have changed tactically. I would have done a million things differently knowing that now because sure. you would protect things. You'd, you'd take your sleeping bag with you, your knife, your hatchet, your ferroserium rod, the things that you literally depended upon. Um, there's a lot of stuff that, hey, if you, you, you steal a tarp, okay, we'll figure it out. Uh, hey, you steal you know, something that we made, oh, makeshift net. Uh, there are a lot of things you can bounce back from. Sleeping bag is high on the list for putting you much closer to out of the game for medical reasons. Yeah. Uh, and then having to go to the mental space where you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, knowing every single night you are going to suffer more yeah. so than the other teams are. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I'm really in my wildest imagination because there are just certain things from a survivalist ethos that you don't think somebody else is going to do. Um, but again, from, from a strategic standpoint, I, I see how you could start to rationalize something like that and think about it as a lever you could pull, especially yeah. if you're you're really wet, you're really hungry, <laughs> you're really wanting to get out of there sooner rather than later. I, I can absolutely see how you can get to do it. The question is, do you go to the level where you say, yeah, I am willing to do that to somebody else to further myself in the game? And, and that's something that even though we, we even talked about like, okay, we, how do you respond to something like this? We can never yes. get over that hump. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so that's my next question. We I know I I messaged you this because it was somebody it was a question that people were asking me. You know, it's yeah. kind of someone in this uh, reality TV expert space. Um, they were asking me about violence. They were asking me about you know can you physically defend yourself? I mean, it's not you, but you see at one point Javier, you know, wrestling um, with members of Alpha f over stuff, and and there is a looming, I think subtext of, of, of what's going to break out here. And I, I'm sure, you know, getting to talk with you, anybody who's been listening to this point, I'm sure that was not, you know, like something that you're thinking you're, you're, you're trying to resort to by any means, but just like, what were the options as far as like defending your camp or defending yourself? Very minimal. Uh, in, in fact, one of the, one of the rules, like you kind of seen, we've hinted at or talked about in these interactions, you know, there's, there is no, laying hands on anybody else in any forceful manner, it would be assault, right? And it would be yeah. grounds for removal from the game or prosecution if the other party wanted to pursue it. Uh, yeah. So, you, you know, it, it created this interesting 
interesting loophole where once you kind of discover that 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 nuclear option, as I've dubbed it, is a possibility and you have very little recourse besides, I, I joke, you know, storing up all of your worldly possessions and then just laying on it like a greedy dragon. You know, that's, that's, the, only, that's the only other answer, right? Uh, you yeah. can't take it if I'm laying on it. Uh, that that we, it really created this kind of de- devolution, if you will, of, of the strategy. Because yeah. now all of a sudden that that's an option, it's like, oh man, I, I can't do anything about it. And just like Javier, he couldn't just take his things back. Or it, like in the real world, there's always the, the rebuff or bluff that you have to call of, potential recourse from another human being in this setting if you wanted to stay in the game that's not possible and if you don't want to be prosecuted for assault of course nobody wants to attack anybody um at least i would hope not so you're you're kind of left standing there saying okay is this you know it's really easy to kick sand in somebody's fire and to throw their stuff in the water right uh when there's no retribution or risk to you for doing that you only stand to gain so it created this really fascinating unforeseen malincentive right yeah that that we all wrestled with as we watched it unfold to say you know every cell in my body wanted to retaliate uh, and wanted to get after you know say if i want to plant my raft on the beach and walk over there and put an end to this in some way shape or form whatever i have to do do i have to pick up the raft and drag it away do i have to go grab javier and his stuff and put him on my shoulders and wade across the river you know you want to do something uh, but but you have to make that decision, you know, and, and uh, you know, I pose this question, you know, do you feed that wolf in your life or do you, do you choose to reflect a higher ideal? And, and that's the, what I think makes this, this series just transcend survival reality TV. We, we had to all contemplate and wrestle with who we would become and what we were willing to rationalize or do in the auspices of what the game was presenting us and how it had evolved or devolved in that, in that scenario. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. No, absolutely fascinating. Definitely. I think, you know, in, in these reality competition TV shows, you know, again, as somebody who consumes many of them, there are somewhat um, fabricated ethical dilemmas. And, you know, like there's Survivor and, you know, there's Blindsides and people. And I don't know if you watch that show, but what, what that's become is it's very, it's like poker. It, everybody understands going out there that you're going to yeah. lie, that you're going to manipulate. Yes. When it first started, that was not, you know, that when it was really just people determining what the show was going to become and there was no, there was less structure. There was a lot more, If it was a lot more personal because people, people chose that option when it wasn't presented them, you know, they, they created that option. And so I think a lot of people who like me are hardcore reality TV fans really feel like this is, this feels like uh, a fresh reality TV show because the ethical dilemmas are real and not, um, and not, and again, not fabricated to just, you know, produce some shallow drama or anything like the suffering of, uh, of, of what was caused to you was, was very real. And no matter what, even if it was for the game or whatever, you know, that there is, um, there's absolutely like a real ethical dilemma in, in what you're willing to do, you know, if you're willing to do that to somebody else. So, oh, and um, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, I, so- I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, you think about that. You're, you're at this confluence where those choices result, like you said, in, in real physical consequences for another human being Yeah, uh, in an environment that trying, that difficult, uh, in, a, in a setting where if you're willing to do that, to push them out of the game, daring them to, to cause that kind of downward vicious cycle of, of tit for tat, retaliation, seeking yeah. vengeance, revenge, in whatever equal and opposite capacity it would happen to be. 
it becomes it becomes a real question of are you willing to do that secondly when does it when does when are you as, as a human being required to start to draw that line from a morality standpoint between rationalization for the game in all in good fun and gameplay and st strategy and yada yada to no, I, I'm literally authoring the suffering of yeah. someone else, especially if they're committed to trying to overcome it and, and really thinking about it from that perspective, you know, that goes back to like the sleeping bag question. You know, we yeah. were committed like, Oh, we're just, we're just going to have to get it out and figure it out. It's a uh, tough, rough, but, we're, we're going to do what we can to survive. But the, the other side of it that I think is, is equally interesting and frustrating, what really was at the heart of Don and I's decision uh, towards when we decided to step away and really yeah. let our flares do the talking, it was the fact that that, that tactic devolved the strategy to be a, a, a sort of cheap or least common denominator, no recourse. Hey, I'm going to do this. Are you willing to be that petty, mean, that sort of thing, uh, for what was happening with Javier. When you watch it, when that, when you know that that's an option and you pull that lever, you can't put that, that genie back in the bottle. Yeah. And, and for us, it, it, it changed the, the flavor of the game altogether because it didn't, it wasn't about strategy anymore at, at that point. It was about it, one for me, disrespectful from the standpoint of people gave up their livelihoods to come out and do this. You know, Seth, you know, he quit his job to come out there and, and do this. There are people, that are they're giving up time with their families, their their livelihoods, financially. They're giving up the, all of this to come out and pursue this dream to, to answer that question personally. Yeah. Who who would I become in this setting, and what can I do, and can I survive, and can I make it on a team? And then to have that kind of cut off at the knees by those tactics was a, really a, one. It was shocking for a lot of us, and you saw that shock across you know Don and I, of course, and Javier, uh, but Charlie team too. You know, they're looking yeah. at it saying, "Oh my gosh." Uh, what is that? How's that changed the tenor of the game? And I think it did, you know, after that entire climax of, of uh, episode five into episode six, where Don, Javier and I's kind of arc and, and what we decide to do with that morality question comes to a conclusion. Uh, it, it's fascinating how the game's kind of tenor changed from that point. It was almost like everybody just needed a break. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, an emotional kind of like, oh, we got to just breathe for a second. Yeah, uh, because the implications and, and, and seeing the reaction of people watching it and hearing a very consistent theme uh, of folks that said, my gosh, you know, I, I had to either step away or really bothered me to watch that as a viewer to do, go through, you know, see what everybody was going through, watch how that that tactic felt like it was just so, so cheap compared to ingenious survival, sure. strategically positioning alignments of teams and teams and shifting of, of alliances like you would see uh, that yeah. would be kind of in the realm of gamesmanship it felt like we stepped into a different arena altogether yeah no i can imagine i'm sure um and a question as well that comes up is did you was there a set amount of days that you thought you would be out there because you hear jill in um one of her interviews in confessionals and she's sharing to the camera like you know this could go on for months was that um, were you prepared to be out there for months and months? Because um, I, I think it, the entire show wrapped up in a little bit over a month. Um, but was that, did you understand that? Because again, I know you were given very minimal rules. So I just would l yeah. love to know in your mindset, how, how much were you thinking when you're thinking of like, okay, this is what this is going to become. Is this going to yeah. be days, weeks, months of this? Exactly. I think, I think if, if the game took its turn 
and we knew, hey, there's only a week and a half left. Yeah, I think I think you find a way to gut it out, right? Uh, but from our perspective, we we literally thought the game could go on. I mean, it could be 80, 90 days. Who knows? It could yeah. be like a like an episode of like a season of Alone. You know, it, it open ended. It, it's if 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 we're willing to just be out there until everyone gives up or capitulates, or there's some sort of ultimate final challenge, like they ended up doing. We didn't know. We had no idea. We knew that all of it was a possibility. Yeah, and, and I do, you know, looking back on it, you could probably look at it and say, okay, there are ways I can start to buffer myself against those strategies, knowing that there's a very real expiration point on the amount of time that you're going to have to be out there. But when yeah. it's open-ended, knowing that that's yeah. how the game is played from this point onward, and, and you, you have to decide, you know, am I, am I going to eat, am I going to devolve or just be subjected to that abuse uh, constantly? And, and do I have the, the dignity to say, you know what, no, that's not what I signed up for. I came out here to survive and under our auspices to work as a team, to get creative, to sure. overcome. You know, for me, as especially as an engineer, you know, survival, what's so such a draw about the visceral thrill of survival is that it's a problem to be solved. It's critical thinking. It's yeah. ingenuity at its finest and most visceral and pertinent because you have to or you won't. <laughs> it's what it yeah. boils down to. Yeah. Uh, and and when, when that was kind of taken away, when that was taken out of the driver's seat, from my perspective, it, it just changed the reason I came onto the game in the first place. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's helpful. Again, context. I mean, it just, it, it's hard to know with so, with such little structure, exactly how you were thinking about things. Cause we want to make sure that we're, we're on the same page about the rules as we're watching. And, and that was definitely a little bit unclear. Um, but I, yeah, I do not blame you for, <laughs> uh, yeah, ultimately deciding to shoot your flare, you know, just you, you, you get to the point where you're not going to give into that mutually assured destruction, you know, track. Yeah. And, um, and so you and Don both, you know, in solidarity do it. So then what happens exactly when you shoot your flare? Like, uh, I would love to know even just that the process of exiting the game, because I'm sure that's its yeah. whole, whole experience in and of itself. Well, you, you, you talk about the, the ultimate in emotion. And, and again, not uh, the amount, the amount of uh, the, an emotional send off that we had between Don and I, Javier and I had gotten close uh, through that, that time as we were strategizing about merging our, our, our camps and teams and getting to spend more time with one another in and around, you know, before that, that final day where everything went down. And the, you know, the season kind of, that series kind of <laughs> climaxed at that point for all of us that you talk about an emotional send-off because you build relationships not just with one another, but with the, the crew, with production, with medical, with the bear guard folks. The, and these are people that you respect immensely. And they're coming over to you and giving you hugs and people are crying and you're just talking about like, wow, you're hearing things like, man, it takes, it takes so much heart uh, to choose that, that route of integrity in the face of basically at, at the destruction of everything you gave up to come out and play the game yeah. at your chance at the prize at your chance at answering the question you know are you going to outlast everybody else at what you gave up at home the time i gave up away from my my beautiful wife and my incredible children and my work and my friends and my family all of that comes to a head in this moment where you're, you're handed that flare gun you load a flare for yourself you load one for dawn and you you have to sit there and look at it and say man this is such a poignant powerful, emotionally overwhelming moment to point that thing up in the air and fire it. And then wonder, you know, how's everybody else going to feel about that? And what is it, what did, did what we do 
resonate in the way that it resonated with us. Yeah. And th that moment, my gosh, I there are very few, especially as it relates to the game, that was just a, a powerful outpouring of just gratitude, regrets, a little bit of relief, but but just sitting there and having all of that come to the head with something so mundane, like just grabbing this flare gun and firing it into the air and everything it represented, just an incredibly powerful, clarifying moment. And, and for sure. us, it, it just, it talk about uh, what, what a crazy and just wild and <laughs> incredible cherry on top of what had been a tumultuous week or so for Don and I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure the catharsis uh, you experience and then you get a full yeah, meal, yeah. I'm sure pretty quickly there. <laughs> And, uh, yep. you know, you're sleeping in your bed that night. That's got to be quite the, uh, yeah, 180 from uh, just, yeah, or uh, full range of emotions, I'm sure. Uh, oh, yeah. The as we, as we begin to wrap up here, I just, I would love to know, like, um, w with, you know, with the cast, with Alpha, um, are you on good terms with them? I'm sure a lot of people are very curious about that. How, what are your feelings now, having watched the show um, towards, I mean, particularly towards the Alpha team? And, and again... Yeah their their decisions to really you know uh come for you and and expedite your your exit out of the game here yeah no i think if um if anybody's seen how i approach the game I, my superpower is a foundation that just transcends circumstance and it's this idea that i am incredibly impossibly serious about the idea that everyone was forgiven immediately always uh full stop no questions uh, and i've i've had those interactions with with jill with amber with justin and, and we're all on good terms i think for a number of reasons one what the lost art that we need more of in in society is the fact that we can we can value one another without embracing one another's values right that is possible folks it's uh it's not a hegelian dialectic a this or that you know you're either can't forgive them they're bad and you're good or vice versa no, there's, there's, I, I can understand why somebody would interpret the ambiguity the way that they did. I can empathize with that. Would I do it to another human being? Of course not. You know, and I vehemently disagree with, with that. And it did. It caused Don and I some real suffering. Uh, no questions asked. But I, I don't hold it against them. I, I don't have any animosity or, or bitterness about the whole thing. Uh, in fact, I, we, we're all in connection. We're all wishing each other well. And we all have that shared respect for the fact that we had to go through this incredible crucible experience together. We all processed it in different ways. We all had a different route to getting what meaning was for us out there. And I, I wouldn't change what Don and I did at all. Tactically, I'd do a million things differently, but <laughs> yeah. from, a, from an integrity, from an integrity and a strategy, just a strategic, the arc of who we are as people and how that came across, I wouldn't change it for anything. And, and that translates in my relationship with Alpha Team. You know, I, I've messaged them multiple times. We've talked. We all continue to be really cordial and supportive of one another because it's it's a very difficult experience, no matter what. Um, um, of course. It, but again, the the how polarizing it can be relative to how it was out there versus how it's portrayed. You know, that's that's tough for everybody. So I, I empathize yeah. with not only what um, what we were going through out there and the, the, the struggles and things that the struggles and things that, that we dealt with, uh, I empathize with uh, with Jill and Amber and Justin's yeah. experience as well. Well, that's, yeah, that's uh, that's great to hear. And I, I, I have a few rapid fire questions here for you as yeah. we wrap up yeah. that I received from people. So 
one um if there is a season five and it's outlast all-stars are and they they call you and say hey joel you're coming out with us or do you want to come out with us for for all-star would you be interested Oh, the the adventurer in me says absolutely sign me up give me another shot let's go i'm on the plane to juno right now okay. uh, and, and 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 that's the other thing you know uh, now the flip side of that uh, the the harder question is whether or not uh, i'm in a position or place where it makes a lot of sense for my family sure. and i yeah. spending more time away from my wife and kids that that is the absolute hardest. And I joked with the producers, I go, you guys were filming the wrong thing. The real survival was happening back home with my, <laughs> my wife versus three children, twins that are three and my youngest that was one at the time. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I uh, just became a father. I have a, a newborn oh, here. I can't, I can't even imagine twins throw on top of that another Whew. child and doing it by yourself so yeah kudos to her that's uh oh she's yeah. she's the she is the mvp in this situation that's for sure <laughs> okay uh, another question though i have for you is a um would you ever be interested in a different type of reality competition show so there's shows like um the traders or things like that that pull from other you know reality shows different um character or different you know contestants and or the challenge is another one um yeah. and you know is that is there anything like that that um you would be interested in you know participating in oh my gosh you know for me that the outpouring of love and support and the doors that are opening because of everything that's happened on outlast has been incredible if uh, if i were to be blessed with an opportunity like that down the road i think i'd be hard pressed to not consider it very very seriously uh, because it just seems again what a ton of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm a big advocate for adventure readiness, this idea that we, we create this opportunity surface area in our life by saying yes to these sorts of things. And I would absolutely be considering something like that, uh, especially knowing that um, even though, uh, again, depending on the show, depending on the format, depending on where I'm at with my wife and my kiddos, yeah. they are also my biggest fans. So yeah. they, they had half the time where my wife was like, you got to go do this when Outlast <laughs> came out. And she knew what she was getting into. And she says, you got to go do it. It's once in a lifetime thing. Who knows what doors this, this will open. So I, I think, uh, boy, I, it'd be hard pressed to not look at that and say, wow, what a blessing to consider these other opportunities. Okay. Okay, great. Um, and now here, here's, so again, qualified, it works out with your family, timing, all that stuff. This is yeah. the real question that people want to know. If, it's, if it is another Outlast season, but it is you and Jill on the same team. Would you go out there again? That is a, that is a, that is the question that I'm getting. Is people does that change the calculus? Well, you know, I I think it does. And and here's the other thing. There, there there's it would be fascinating, right? To uh, because I would have no problem trying to collaborate with Jill on a team. Uh, and and in fact, I think it would be a really interesting challenge for both of us to say how can we amplify the best of one another. And who knows, maybe that would emerge as this incredible super team where we, we decide not to go the route that was chosen the first time around and really lean into the superpowers that Jill has as an incredible survivalist and just rough, tumble, rugged adventurer that she is. Uh, maybe, maybe we'd be a force to reckon with. So, you know, for me, uh, you don't know until you're out, until you try it. And as far as people, we all deserve more <laughs> way worse than we get in life and we all deserve a second chance on that front so heck if it were uh hey joel and jill dropped in on some sort of outlast dual <laughs> super team to try to to yin and yang it out there <laughs> boy that would be some must-see television i think 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I think you'd have a lot of people signing up to watch that for sure. Okay, um, uh, another another question I have here is just if if for another um another season if it was going to happen and there was if they, they they consult you they say hey Joel you know you've talked a lot about game theory here um, yeah. is there any anything we should do to change the rules for season two is there any is there anything that's clear to you that that should be different um, that might maybe help somebody that was in the same position as you or protect against mm -hmm. some of these things that we said were kind of loopholes. Yeah. You know, I, I think now that we've kind of broken the seal on what's possible in the game, even if they showed up and they didn't change any of the rules, it's going to fundamentally change how players protect their camps, how they strategize about resources and different things, uh, how they think about interacting with the other camps and keeping that, uh, you know, it's going to add a layer of, of I, th I think, even more skepticism in dealing with folks out in that environment. So if they did nothing uh, on that front, absolutely nothing, I think it did fundamentally change the game and the tenure, uh, really the tenor of the whole thing as it relates to strategy already. But if yeah. it were me, and you start to think about the game theory of this, we have an opportunity with Outlast to really explore not so, not only just something that's wildly entertaining and explore the, the man versus wild survival component, but the social experiment side of this is, infinitely interesting and infinitely moldable into a number of different scenarios i would encourage or create incentive structures in the game where you create more risk for somebody to behave that way whether yeah. it's hey you can do it you're welcome to try but if you get stopped or you get scuttled here are the consequences you lose what yeah. you stole you know yeah. or hey you you get some sort of disadvantage uh you have to go to that, or you you lose some other resource that you have at camp, or there's some aspect where there's there's a counterbalance to choosing something that's a little more morally fraught or questionable. That's like, oh look, if you can go ahead and do it, and you overcome the odds or the incentives that are stacked against you to accomplish it, maybe you are rewarded because the risk is balanced. That yeah. would be fascinating to me. Yeah, I think that that's the that that seems like a, a um, interesting because I don't think anybody who's again a hardcore reality competition show wants a bunch of more structure and rules because that was what made the show so fascinating was really putting you all in that position and asking that question what will you do and yeah. so I, I i hope if anybody if producers are listening to this interview i hope you don't change too much but i do think yes like you're saying there needs to be a little bit of a shift in incentives and um just to give you some like recourse as you were discussing um, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm very interested. I hope there is a season two outlast. Um, and uh, if there is, Joel, this is my invitation to you. If you ever want to come in and uh, yeah. provide commentary on a season two, mm -hmm. Silent Podcast is happy to help you host that. Um, we would mm -hmm. love to. Uh, yeah, just uh, we, yeah, we, we hope we're hoping for a season two. And if there is, um, we we would love to talk with you again sometime. Oh, my goodness. I would be all ears and I would love to talk about it. And, and again, like you said, it, it is truly nuanced and something special so ma major kudos to uh grant and and the production team for coming up what, what i think is just such a, a refreshing take on this infinitely fascinating it brings the moral question the 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 philosophical question the theological question i mean it is just causing conversation that if we were just a bunch of people starving in the woods for 80 days, you know, you're not going to have that kind of conversation. Yeah. So it is truly special. And I would love to keep talking about it. That's for sure. Well, sounds good. Well, uh, Joel, is there any, anything else you'd like to say before we're out here? Um, I know we're, we're pushing the hour mark and you got to get going, but yeah. I just wanted to, um, yeah. Ask if there's anything left that you would like to share with, uh, you know, our audience here. Yeah. I, I would say if you are 
at all interested in keeping up with what adventures are next for Joel, your favorite Outlast Outcast, or any of me and my compadres, you know, check it out, joelhungate.com. You can find out all of that. Connect with me on social. It's usually just Joel Hungate, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, this is Hungate on Twitter. Uh, connect with me. Keep the conversation going. In fact, uh, I have a commitment I've responded to, and I've tried, because the messages have been insane, and you know, the, the, qual the quality and quantity of them has been overwhelming. Uh, but I'm trying to respond to everyone and everything at all places at all times. So <laughs> you got questions, hit me up, guys. Uh, I want to talk about it, and I'm so excited for where this is going to go, what's going to happen next. And so thankful for your time today, Josh. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're, we're very, very grateful that you took the time here to, to, to take a deep dive into everything that happened um, on this incredible show. So I, I, I will call my shot. I think this is going to keep trending on Netflix. I think this, yeah. it's your run as a top 10 show in the U.S. is not going to be over. You, I think we're going to keep seeing it pop up in that list uh, over time because I do. Again, this, yeah. this show has spread like wildfire through the word of mouth um, just within my own network here. And people are fascinated. People are really interested to see um this kind of fresh social experiment that again is so rare so once again thank you joel um yeah as always um for anybody listening please subscribe to silent podcast we may be having um some more interviews like this um with other members of uh your season here and um we would love you know any reviews ratings helps us to just get the word out for um, yeah, interviews like this to get in those algorithms so people can hear um, the perspective and experience from uh, contestants like Joel. So we have some other interviews up from other shows as well. So if the, if you're into reality competition, reality shows, uh, please check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you, you know, get your podcasts and consume your media. So um, thank you all again. Thank you, Joel, uh, for your time. And we will um, see you on the other side. Very good. Stay wild, everyone. <laughs>